you're hiking in the woods and your friend gets bit by a snake and everyone looks to you because you're a nurse and like, nurse, what should we do? They've been bitten by a snake. <laughs> there. I'm your host, Sarah Lorenzini, a rapid response nurse and educator who loves telling stories to teach critical thinking. This podcast is for nurses who want the knowledge, skills, and confidence to respond to any emergency. With almost 20 years of experience in the ER and critical care nursing and a master's degree in nursing education, I have a lot of stories to share, and I love to nerd out and break down the pathophysiology, pharmacology, and nurses' role in emergencies. Stories bring learning to life. It is way easier to learn from and remember the stories that my colleagues and mentors have told me than anything I've read in a textbook. And that is why I made this podcast. Every episode is packed full of exactly what you need to know to handle whatever crisis that could arise on your shift. It's one thing to get the right answer on the test, but knowing how to detect when your patient is declining and what to do when your patient is crashing is what will make or break your day and might just save your patient's life. So welcome back to the Rapid Response RN Podcast. I am super excited about today's episode because I have with me my friend Celie. So good to see you, Celie. So me and Celie worked together a couple years ago in the ER. She was one of my best preceptors and charge nurse. We worked together on several educational ventures. She's a stellar nurse. We're talking today about snake bites. <laughs> so uh, Celie. Neither of us are experts at snake <laughs> about snake bites, but I feel like you have a very unique expertise just because of your experience. So can you just tell us why are you here today talking about snake bites? Because I got bit. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I have been bit. Yeah. So you have the perspective of an ER nurse who cares for patients who've been bit by snakes. And now as a patient who has been bitten by a snake and got crofab and the whole thing, been to the hospital, gone to the ICU, all the stuff. All the so Celie, before we dive into the episode, can you just take a minute and share with my audience, what's your nursing background? Like, why did you get into nursing? What nursing roles have you held? And then where are you heading? I became a nurse because my mom told me to. Okay. And I was going nowhere in college. I took two days of clinicals to realize that it was a calling and this is what I should have been doing all along. So kudos to mom. She was right. I have been predominantly an ER nurse. I've worked in two different level one trauma centers. I've worked in rural medicine, rural ERs, freestandings, all kinds of stuff. But I also have a little bit of history in long-term care and GI things, all things GI. It's very fun. I remember when we first hired you and you're like, listen, if y'all got ostomy problems, I got you because I know how to do an ostomy. And I was like, yes, yes, we will call upon you. We will utilize that resource. Ostomy and NG tubes. They were like my bread and butter for the longest time. Yeah, girl, not me. I'm so glad that they're like your thing. Not so okay. much anymore, but So yes. lots of ER nursing. And then what are you up to these days? Where are you heading with nursing? So I am working on my master's uh, in nursing education right now, um, working in the ER still, just kind of made a new transition to South Carolina to be closer to family. Um, and I'm still working as a uh, sexual assault nurse examiner. Those are my three bigs. Yes. And I definitely plan to have you back on the podcast to talk about our shared love for that patient population and being sexual assault nurse examiners. But today we're talking about snakes. Okay. Yes. So, Celie. <laughs> I've loved working with you. 
I can't wait to hear the story, both from the nursing perspective and also from the patient perspective. So can you just set the scene, walk us through the whole thing and how it unfolded? So I had just gone off work. I had worked a day shift charging a kind of brutal day, let the dogs out. And I was walking down a sidewalk in the middle of town, 830 at night, kind of dark, uh, not really paying attention. And I stepped on the stick. It like flipped up and it hit me in the back of the heel and it really hurt. And I was like, I should probably move that off the sidewalk before it goes through somebody else's foot or something. So I turn my phone light on and I look at the stick and the stick looks at me. And the stick is alive. <laughs> it's very alive. It is very angry. It was not a stick. It was a snake. I've been outside my entire life, been a very outdoorsy. I My grandfather's a wildlife biologist. Like I should have been bitten a million times in my life, just not on a sidewalk in the middle of town after dark. Right. <laughs> I identified it pretty readily. It was a pygmy rattlesnake. It was a very small one. It took me about 30 seconds to put together the fact that that still wasn't a stick and it bit me. Um, <laughs> so I, I looked at my foot and I see these two itty bitty little puncture wounds and clear, you know, like yellowish kind of opaque fluid oozing out of the bite sites and all over my foot. So I'm like, mm, that's not a dry bite. Dry bite is when they don't actually envenomate and they just kind of bite you out of fear, warning, whatever. Mm, mm -hmm. Nope, this one was angry. This this one let it go. And there's some like folklore to like whether or not juveniles are worse or this was a small guy and it looks like he let his full venom load go all over my foot, in my foot, all of the things. Okay. So that's the bite. All right. So you're like, all right, I've been bitten. What do I do? What do I do now? <laughs> <laughs> because I just left work, I had seen every rescue in town all day long. I was like, I can't call EMS for this. Like, they're busy with real emergencies. This is an emergency, by the way. Um, real emergencies. <laughs> so I, I go to the ER and pain's pretty tolerable. It's not a really red or angry wound. It's a little pale, if anything. So we kind of make the general consensus that we're just going to sit back and do the watch and wait thing. So we did. I was, you know, kind of getting ready to go home. And about an hour after the bite, it started to really hurt. The pain kind of gradually ascended my leg. It started in my heel where the bite was, made its way to my ankle and slowly progressed, uh, ultimately stopping at my knee. But the knee stop is, is where the interventions occur. Like that mm -hmm. That's where the CoFab came in. So once the pain kind of got to the next joint up, that's when the provider was like, okay, yeah, we're going to go ahead and go with this high-risk intervention called CoFab. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. High risk and, to be fair, high cost. Yeah. And not necessarily readily available. Luckily, True. it's Florida, so we have... <laughs> <laughs> A lot of access, generally speaking, to this medication, but it, it does have some pretty high risks. It has high risk for anaphylactic reactions, one to the venom, and then adding the antivenin in just even furthers those complications. And then it's hard to get medicine. It has to be walked from pharmacy. It can't be shaken. It literally comes with this giant label that says high cost drug, do not shake, <laughs> and very specific administration instructions and follow up. Gotcha. So they decided to give you the CroFab. Do you happen to know, like, what is the dosing for CroFab? I, I don't know if you're not the expert here, but... Fun fact, pediatric dosing and adult dosing are pretty much the same. Very small differences. Okay. You can get anywhere from four to six is the standard dose if they're 
truly concerned for like a severe envenomation, like a really good dump into the wound, you can do up to 12 vials. Just right off the bat. In your initial dose. Yeah. Yep. I got eight because it dumped. And it was it was slow to start ascending, but once it started ascending, it was pretty rapidly increasing. So by like 10.30, I had the first round of Crofab in, and the bite happened at 8.30. So it was a pretty close window on from hitting my heel to my knee. Yeah. First dose and sometimes second dose are your, what they call control doses or like initial like bolus doses. Mm-hmm. And those doses are intended to stop the ascension of pain and venom. Like it's usually kind of diagnosed by symptom site Mm -hmm. or redness wound. I didn't have a whole lot of redness, so that was a little bit more subjective. It was more towards the pain. So where the pain stopped is where the Mm -hmm. venom spread stopped kind of thing. So we went ahead and did eight vials off the bat. And that first eight vials was able to stop the spread. Gotcha. All right. So you got eight vials in the ER. And then what did the next 48 hours look like for you? It looked like a Mickey bed. Pretty much guaranteed admission to an ICU for Q1 vitals and honestly allergic reaction checks. You can have it at any point during the administration. So you're getting Q4 coagulation panels done. So platelet counts, fibrinogen levels, clotting PTTs, PTINRs, just a full coag panel because most of the time these uh, antivenom as well as the venom itself are hemotoxic. So Q4 labs, mm-hmm. Q6 infusions of two vials at a time. Mm-hmm. I got a total of 14 vials through the course of 18 hours. That's a pricey evening. <laughs> it really was. Um, it was very pricey. I'm very thankful for uh, one, being an employee and two, having extremely good health insurance. Um, Do you remember what your total bill was after the whole thing? I remember it like down to the penny. Um, it was $193,000. Goodness gracious. <laughs> Which is one of those okay. things that they weigh in when they're administering it. Yeah. I mean, worth it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. But not, not that that should factor in, but at times it does. Like if there's a chance that you might not need this and you can wait a little bit longer just to see what your body does, you know, it's a discussion to have with your doctor. The nurses in the ICU, what types of things were they doing? Obviously drawing blood, but like, how, what are they monitoring for? Are they measuring your wound or what are they up to? So in a standard snake bite, they would absolutely be measuring the wound. I got really lucky and didn't have a lot of external tissue damage short of the actual puncture wounds. I just had some like pale gray discoloration around my heel. It was probably the size of a baseball, not a lot of swelling or anything. So there wasn't a ton to watch, but they needed to make sure that that wasn't changing. So it kind of varies by hospital protocol, but every four to six hours, they were monitoring the wound itself. That could be measurements, circumference of wherever the extremity was a bit. They're going to check, you know, sensation, cap refill, assess of, of the actual extremity itself above and below assessing for anaphylaxis, any form of bleeding. That was a big one. I was like not allowed out of bed. It's essentially being on a blood thinner. It's not, but it, they treat you very similarly just in the event that it causes a coagulopathic disorder of some sort. Did they elevate your heel? I might have, <laughs> but I'll be perfectly honest with you. I think initially in the ER we did. I was reading that like there's some literature that supports elevating it just to reduce the venom, like staying in one place and, you know, breaking down the tissues. 
But again, again, follow your hospital's policy because... <laughs> yeah, I think that we did in the ER before CROFAB, like while we were deciding and kind of having the discussion of, do we actually pull the trigger on this? Gotcha. So let's talk about what if you hadn't gotten CROFAB? Worst case scenario, you are in the middle of nowhere and there's no access to any hospital anywhere. And this snake bite, this venom is just doing its thing. What are the symptoms or the complications that come with snake bite? Hey guys, I'll get back to the show in just one second. But before I do, I have a request. If you have ever gotten any value from this podcast and you want the show to continue to grow, to access more awesome experts in the field, and to keep providing you with more nursing knowledge and inspiration, could you take a minute to leave a rating and a review? Those reviews on Apple and Spotify go a long way in getting this podcast in the hands of more nurses and bringing new guests to the show. And they just make my day to know that my stories and nerdy patho breakdown are helping other nurses thrive or at least survive. So if you're feeling up to it, I'd love to see a rating and review from you. Thank you so much. Now back to the show. Uh, the biggest one's going to be tissue damage. Mm-hmm. It's going to be local injury to the wound itself in that general area. Like my instance, my heel. So the concern would be for tissue necrosis, mm-hmm. potentially hemorrhage, not like sanguination or anything like that, but just significantly bleeding wound because it is a hemotoxin. Okay, so local tissue damage, they're hemotoxic, so like coagulopathies, what else? Swelling, pain, and then you're going to start seeing the lack of treatment or inability to access treatment readily. You're going to see that escalation of pain. You're going to see the spread of inflammation, swelling, redness. You can see some vascular compromise, worsening and progressing tissue damage as the venom spreads. Gotcha. Uncontrolled, it could be systemic. Mm -hmm. And that's really where they worry. Those are big snakes, big bites, you know, not that quick, angry snake. Yeah, yeah. This is it got a hold of you and really let loose. And then as far as like the potential for anaphylaxis, you don't know. Like, no, we don't know (laughs) if you're going to go anaphylaxis from the snake bite. So it's actually, it's a pretty small percentage of people that have that, but it's definitely a risk when it comes to snake bites. Yes. Not only the venom itself, but the anti-venom also has high risk of anaphylaxis. Yes. I know a lot of people also get like nausea, vomiting, diarrhea from snake bites. And then it's very rare in like the crotalids, but even like neurotoxicity, you know, trouble breathing and can't move your limbs. That's even a, a chance. I wanted to preface it and say too, we're talking about North American snake bites. Yes. Um, if you are listening from another continent that has different snakes than I am familiar with, like cobras and things, I have no idea. I don't even want to tell you about how to handle those snake bites. Um, Australians don't so, count. They, <laughs> they're excluded they from have, They have a whole bunch of other snakes. Yeah, but yes. for, for the snakes we have in the States, CROFAB is a treatment, and we're looking mostly at the wound because they, it can, like, get necrotic rapidly (laughs) and then trying to like manage those symptoms. So let's talk about if you do get bitten or bit, what do you do? So let's say you are hiking in the woods, which is where you would think, right? Someone would get bit by a snake, not like in the parking lot of their apartment complex. Right. Um, So you're hiking in the woods and your friend gets bit by a snake and everyone looks to you because you're a nurse and like, nurse, what should we do? They've been bitten by a snake. (laughs) Okay. You do not start sucking on the wound. That's the first thing I want to say. I don't know why they do that in the movies. Your mouth is so vascular 
so vascular. Why would you ever suck poison into your own mouth to be absorbed in your own system? That is a horrible idea. Okay, so no sucking on the wound. Even like commercially available suction devices, not recommended. Nope. Don't do it. Okay, no ice, no need for ice. Nope. No need for NSAIDs. Actually, don't. <laughs> don't. Yeah, don't. You don't do NSAIDs. It's a bad idea. No need for shock therapy. That was something people talked about for a while. You got to shock it. Nope, don't. Don't shock it. You don't even need tourniquets. I know they always put a tourniquet on it in the movies, but you don't need a tourniquet for a... <laughs> in fact, it'll make it worse. At least for the North American snakes, if we're thinking about tissue necrosis, if you put a tourniquet on it, you literally retain all of the venom in that one localized spot and you, you're going to make things worse. It's okay for the venom to kind of like spread out a little bit. Again, I'm talking about the snakes we have in North America. I don't know about all the other wild snakes. North American crotalids. <laughs> but crotalus, I use it. Yeah. Yeah. That's no tourniquets for those snakes. It may be different for those snakes. I don't know. If the person gets bit on an extremity, get everything off that extremity. Take the yeah. ring off, take the watch off, take the sock off, take the shoes off, take everything because it's going to swell and you don't want it to swell with something stuck on it. So get all the things off and get to your local ER. Like you said, you had some time. It's like you immediately started like oh, yeah. crashing. You have some time, get to your local ER and see if profab seems like the best treatment. Also, don't take the snake with you. You don't go back after the snake. Don't even take time to take a photo of the snake, right? It's a snake. We're either going to crofab or not crofab. Like, (laughs) why are we taking photos of snakes? No photos. Just go to the ER and say, I got bit by a snake, period. They'll watch you and see if you start having symptoms that need crofab. The end. Anything else I missed there, Celie, (laughs) from from your experience Um... and your knowledge about the topic? From having treated several of them, like a heavy emphasis, and the one thing I've actually seen more than anything is the tourniqueting. Don't tourniquet it. You are, like you said, you are concentrating a pool, a small pool of nothing but pure venom in a very small localized area. You are going to cause more tissue damage, one, by concentrating that, but two, by restricting blood flow to that extremity. The only time tourniquet needs to be applied is if you're going to lose that limb and you're going to hemorrhage out without it. Like... Don't apply. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Okay. So, Celie, you get to the ER. They give your friend Crofab. They're admitted to the ICU, all the things. We already talked about the next 48 hours, what to expect. Are there any, like, takeaways from your experience as a nurse, from your experience as a patient that you'd want to tell your friend or that you would want to make sure the nursing staff know? To take charge of your care, to have those conversations, to be open-minded to the fact that you may not need antivenin of any form, Crofab, antivenin, Anavip, like whatever brand availability formulation the pharmacy at your local hospital uses. Don't walk in and expect them just to start it. There's a chance that that needs to be a conversation to outweigh those risks and benefits, types of bites, location. I think that's a big one people come in and really expect like right off the bat, like hit me with the Crofab. Mm -hmm. That was a huge takeaway for me was It was a very big do we or don't we conversation Mm -hmm. amongst multiple providers too. It wasn't just one person making that decision. Our pharmacist was involved, several physicians, including a local expert. Yeah. It was actually like nationally known expert, which is kind of cool, but not everybody has access to that one. So I'm pretty thankful. But just to know that there's there's always the ability and you always have that right as a patient and as an advocate for your patients to have the conversation, like to take control of your care and obviously respectfully and and carefully doing so. And and I do respect our doctors. So when they said yes, I said, okay. (laughs) But we did talk about it and we had a dialogue. Yeah, that's a good point. And another thing I would add is 
the follow-up risk factors for bleeding once and coagulation issues once the COFAP has been administered. You are a fall risk, especially while you're hospitalized. But even for a little while afterwards, I had to have pretty consistent follow-up, especially on my coagulation panels and my hemoglobin and hematocrit, just to make sure that I wasn't having any issues bleeding for at least a week and then around three months and then again at six months. Wow. So Assessing your patient for bleeding is huge. It's just like somebody being on a heparin drip or any other TPA, you know, blood thinner. It's it's very similar. Yeah. So you're not out of the woods once you're discharged. There's still more monitoring to be done. That's a good point. Yes. Thanks, Ely. The last thing I want to leave you guys with, there's actually an app. It's called Snakebite 911. Ooh. It's made by Crowfab. And like when you go into the app, it literally walks you through everything. So patient assessment. Signs of animation, it's like little tabs inside the app. Check for progression of clinical effects, CROFAB administration, like the dosing for it, and then how to administer it, continued patient monitoring, determine if patient meets discharge criteria. Like it literally has everything inside the app. So if you don't have the app on your phone already, ER nurses especially, go ahead and download Snakebite 911 app. It's pretty, pretty user friendly. It also has the poison control center number on there where you can contact an expert no matter where you are in the world. So yeah, Celie, this has been very insightful. Thank you so much for sharing your experience as a patient and also your experience as a nurse. Of course. Because we don't talk enough about snake bites. And I think it's important to to highlight so we can all be prepared because you just never know where you're going to walk in the parking lot and get bit by a tiny little baby snake. Exactly. That could cause you to lose your limb. So. Or $193,000. Ah, yes. <laughs> that was my boy. All right, friend. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to talk with you again. And I will definitely have you back on the podcast to talk more about sexual assault nursing. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Celie. Have a great day. Bye, Sarah. Bye. Before you go, I just wanted to let you know that if you like this episode, you would probably like my course too. My one-hour rapid response and rescue course is an introduction to how I approach emergencies. If you would like to learn to think, assess, and respond quickly when your patient is crashing, then you can check out my website, rapidresponseandrescue.com. And if you message me the word podcast on Instagram, I will send you a coupon code for $10 off the cost of the course. Oh, and did I mention that the course is approved by the AACN and worth one continuing education contact hour? So if you want to level up your emergency response skills and get one CE in the process, then this course is what you want. I put the link in the show notes for you. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you learned something that will save a life. Remember, nursing is a team sport, so trust your intuition and don't give up advocating until you are confident you've done what's right by your patient. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of Sarah Lorenzini and hers alone. They are not intended as medical advice and should not take the place of your institution's policies or procedures. Evidence-based practice is ever-changing and your patient care should reflect the current best practice. If you want to get in contact with Sarah, you can find her at rapidresponseandrescue.com or on social media platforms as The Rapid Response RN.